The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast all about a life following Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it's Sunday morning and yesterday Watford lost 2-0 away at Liverpool at the legendary Anfield Stadium. Mike's with me. Good morning, Mike. Oh, good morning, John. How are you? Oh, chipper, apparently. Chipper and I like it. And uh, good morning, Jason. Good morning, everyone. And who is this pretend Mike that we have with us? Uh, there was a point yesterday, Mike, during the game when the WhatsApp group was <laughs> Who's stolen Mike's phone? Has he given it over to Florence for a while to play around <laughs> with? And she's sending these positive messages. <laughs> it was a little bit weird, but it was, it was a, 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 a welcome feeling, I think, that we all loved for once this season, at least, from uh, everyone who's part of that WhatsApp group. I, I did feel a little bit, guys, you know, watching Watford away at Liverpool, a little bit like a, a bit of a sicko. You know, I'm, I'm setting myself up for punishment. You are. Because, uh, yeah, but, we, but you know, we had a podcast too, so I've got, I've got to sort of put myself through it. It didn't feel so bad, but we'll talk about why that is. You know, but you go into it, you want to know, is the attitude there? We've got these, this one and eight other games to go. Is there any passion there? Is there any signs of there being enough for us, this to be a good end to the season. If not, maybe a good, good end to the season where Watford stay up. We'll get onto that later on. But Mike, it was a trip to Liverpool. You had the worst trip. And it was a Sunday game and it was 6-1. And the, the drive home is, was horrendous a few years ago. These games against the big six, like I said, I wasn't excited for it like I, I used to be. I think there's games against the top six, and then I think there's games against the the top two. There's a very small difference between the two, quite frankly, when it comes to to Watford at the moment. But what I found interesting, certainly in the lead up to the Liverpool game, was that there was almost a sort of unspoken agreement that no one was going to talk about it. Usually, <laughs> in the lead up to a game, you know, social media is a buzz. Our WhatsApp group is a buzz. Uh, we're talking to family and mates about about the game, who might start, what might happen. But there was absolutely, relatively speaking, it was crickets. There was there was no one really talking about this game, and I wonder whether that just might be because people have got out of the habit. It's been a lovely two weeks without any uh, any Watford football to blight our weekends. But I think the the reality of it is that we're sort of suffering from a collective PTSD, really, not to use the the, the term to lightly, but the games that we've played against certainly Liverpool and Manchester City have been so lopsided so non-competitive that they've basically and and uh, Dan Harvey I know who follow, follows us on, on on Twitter used the phrase they're a non-event and they are really because as as supporters we're so used to going into these games knowing really that we're beaten obviously no you're not beaten in any game before you start but the reality is we've not haven't looked anything like against Liverpool or Manchester City have we for for years it's been it's been awful. So I was a bit conflicted yesterday in in terms of we came away from with a with a two nil defeat and everyone was like, hmm. well, not everyone. I, I certainly was like, well, you know that that was okay. We looked organised and disciplined, and we and it was a, a decent exercise in in damage li- limitation, which in the context of this season is is probably quite good. But then I thought, well, is that really enough to be going into these games? With the, with the focus on on damage damage limitation to come out without being embarrassed, which which is kind of where I feel we're we're at at the moment going into certainly games against Manchester City and Liverpool and really the the rest of the top sixes as well, which is it, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's just it's it's pause for thought, really. I think you're right, and I I, I think to an extent you're right. I think Dan is as well. Yeah, you know, they are a non-event. They aren't necessarily the thing that we've, we, you know, getting excited about. It's not like in '99 where we went up, we got the win, you know, with Tom Mooney's goal. But that just going there was exciting. It was epic. It felt like a cup final. Um, now it's just something we've done a bit, and we know that we're probably going to have some sort of uh, heartache or maybe it's just suffering and punishment for it. So I think you, I, I get that. Question for you, John, and, and you, Jace. You mentioned the 99 game, John, which was amazing and, and will live long in the memory when we won at Liverpool. But of course, very, very different then. 
and the game has moved on and Liverpool and Manchester City in particular have have moved on and are you know by by some margin the best teams in the in the division they are they're playing a different game really to us so is it just us that goes into those games thinking that we're pretty much beaten you know do i don't know Norwich Brentford um Palace do they go into those games thinking they're they're beaten like we do? Is that just because we've just performed so badly over the, the the five or six years against them, or with obvious notable exceptions? So is it just us that because they are amazing teams, we can't we can't get away from that? Are other teams suffering the same? I'm sure I'm sure there are some fans of, of clubs around us that that feel the same that will go into these games with absolutely no hope whatsoever. I'm sure it's different for the players. I'm sure it's different for our players as well. They. There probably is an element of doubt and fear there, but equally, there's there's probably a, a feeling of opportunity as well. You're up against some of the best players in the world. Now's your chance to show, sort of, grab the ball by the horns and and show the watching world how good you are as a, as a footballer. As long as you as the players approach it with the right mindset and the right attitude, which I think our players did yesterday, and I think our coaching team did yesterday. I think it's an important point to note. I'm sure we're not the only ones in terms of fans dreading going to Anfield, going to the the Etihad. Uh, it, it, there will be other teams that will be fearing uh, uh, getting a trouncing. Yeah, I, I think it depends on where you are as, as a club. Like I was watching the highlights of the of the Brighton against Norwich game yesterday, and you sort of think if Norwich were going there, they would just feel similar to us, maybe a little bit worse. Brighton would feel, well, we're a good team, we're great, we might get something from it but we can't seem to score any goals recently. So I think the, the individual story for the fans is very different. As Jason sort of said, the individual stories for the players um, and where Watford are at, were their players in there saying, look, this is my time to shine. We know this is the only game on. It's the first game after the break. This is my opportunity to, to show what I can do. The, the What individuals or collectors want from big games like this will, will change dramatically and I think most clubs and by that I mean the fans I think they would feel the same as us going there it's not necessarily for all of them damage limitations it is let's go and see if we can be 100% ourselves and get something from it but were we 100% ourselves did we get anything from this let's talk about this in terms of the the two sort of sides of this the attack and the the defense and you could say Jason from the defensive point of view we let in less goals than we have done previously against Liverpool did anything, you know, for you, that lineup, you saw Kamara, who out of the defence, he was the only one that had been on international duty. It's the same one as before. Was there a certain confidence, maybe, that you think they could do something? And, and how did they pan out for you, that defensive line? <laughs> well, uh, to answer the question, did I have any confidence that they could come away with something? No, absolutely none whatsoever, <laughs> given what we've just been talking about. Um but yeah, they, uh, they they did do a, a decent job, didn't they? I mean, as you said, there was no change in the um, in the back four. In fact, there was one change across the whole side from the win at Southampton. So you sort of winning breeds confidence and all, and all that. So hopefully in the team they were feeling a bit more confident, and I felt they they played that way as well. And defensively, that performance we probably got what we expected in terms of. Defensive line did their did their job. The midfielders dropped back as Liverpool advanced. The midfield would drop back, fill in the spaces. We defend the spaces really well. The wide players will come back and support the uh, the fullbacks um, in their job with the wide players. We played quite narrow. I felt what probably helps us. One Liverpool probably weren't at their absolute best, were they? We we need to be honest in that. I think there were players there having an off day, but also they seem to play quite narrow anyway because you've got you had what Firmino one side Salah the other their natural instinct is to get into the penalty area and and get on the end of things and and try and score goals which sort of suited us so that they weren't really threatening us out wide we had they're going to try and attack their fullbacks we were trying to cause them problems by getting the ball to our wide men early which made them sort of think twice about attacking using that sort of width and it's that sort of helped us a bit it meant it meant it was just quite a congested game at time Liverpool didn't have the space that they would have wanted to sort of play around us pass around us and make it easy for themselves so I think yeah defensively we, we were set up quite well and sort of as I say 
defended the spaces and stopped Liverpool from doing what they normally do really well. The good thing for me as well was that it didn't seem to be it didn't seem to cause us any issues with the way we attacked either. We weren't just sitting back, hoofing the ball clear and hoping for the best. We were trying to attack as well. We got the fast guys up front, but then the midfield were happy to run beyond the sort of the front three as well. We've talked about a lot in the past about when we play like this that we find big gaps between the midfield and the attackers and that wasn't there yesterday when we did look to attack we looked to counter and and we did it pretty well in fairness it's just a shame that what it came down to again individual mistakes that, that ultimately cost us the game the first 20 minutes were i thought were were exceptional in terms of executing the the game plan and you know liverpool are they do struggle with these half 12 kickoffs they do struggle post international break and i thought we exploited that really for the first 20 minutes. Jason sort of explained it, it perfectly. We were set up really well defensively. We ref- They did have a corner after about, what was it, 30, 30 seconds. And I thought, <laughs> oh, groggy, here we go. But after that, they settled into the task quite nicely. And I think took Liverpool a little bit by surprise. Probably more, as Jace, you said, with the with what the midfield did. You know, Sissoko burst forward a couple of times, didn't he? He carried the ball through, which I I don't think they really expected and and for the first 20 minutes or so the game plan was was executed really well and you know Saar had a had a shot from distance but uh, we got at Virgil van Dijk a couple of times when he was he was exposed really for the for that first 20 minutes until which I, I suspect for judging by Jason's tone we we're about to talk about mm-hmm. the um the, the dam did did break and it was from a, a what that happens so often doesn't it Watford sort of have a decent chance and then all of a sudden at the other end, the other team do what we didn't and score. Credit's due for that for that first 20 minutes because they, they executed the plan pretty pretty well. I wrote down a, a little note I had sat in the pub watching the game and I wrote down coping, question mark, question mark. And it didn't feel like we were just coping with Liverpool, so especially in that first 20 minutes. We're going to go back to the most positive thing about the the defence and one particular individual in a minute. But let's talk about that goal. Let's talk about that goal, which was, from DCW's point of view on the on the WhatsApp group, just a, a beautiful cross. And it was quite interesting the way that uh, BT Sport set up and the analysis that they do with Rio Ferdinand. It, it really focused on the Watford side of that goal, not necessarily the brilliantness of, of Liverpool, which was normally the way these things go they focus on the big teams but it did seem to be Cabaselli unaware unsure where where he is and what to do and and where is Jota how that's to to blame is not 100% clear because of course you can't hear who's shouting and who's who said what but Jason did you feel massively let down by that or did you think actually no that was a great goal they're just hard to to deal with it was it was disappointing, which, which seems a bit harsh given everything we've said. But in the cold light of day, if you if you're going to play well and then ruin it by a moment's lapse of concentration at the back, then you almost feel like what's the point? You don't get any points in the league table for a for a plucky loser's performance. So um, we need to criticise, I guess, when when we're not doing things right. And I'm sure. Um, Mrs. Hodgson and Lewington will be doing the same. And and for me, you, you look at it and, yeah, I think you, you talked about, was there a shout? Did Kiko give Cavaselli a shout that Jota was coming on? So so Cavaselli's looking at the direction of the ball, where the ball's coming from. Kiko's behind him. He can see the run of Jota. He seems to ease off that slightly, doesn't go with him. So as he told Cavaselli that he, he's, he's coming in and to, and to watch out, should Cavaselli be attacking the ball more. We saw in the second half another great cross come in from that right-hand side that Cabaselli defended really, really well, probably under a lot more pressure that he's managed to sort of clear out over the bar. So why has he not done that for this one? And also, has Foster any element to blame on this? Was he on a no-win no situation? If he stays on his line, the ball's going in the corner, he doesn't get it anyway, Does he? he's got to come for it, but then he gets there behind Jota. But is that because... We should be dealing with Jota, even if just to disrupt his run, not necessarily to get the ball before him. So is it Kiko should be staying with him, slowing him down, Cabaselli attacking the ball. Ultimately, we had enough players in the box to deal with that. They had one player in the box and he got on the end of it and scored. 
Initially, it seemed that it was Cabaselli's, let's say, fault because he wasn't really doing anything. He wasn't sort of part of that play. But the more you look at it, you sort of do see the responsibility for either picking up Jota or for advising Cabaselli. But I don't think that would have been the best thing to do. Tell Cabaselli, turn around, your man's behind you. He would have been even more out of shape to be able to deal with that. It either felt like either Kiko didn't say anything and didn't run with him or Ben said something and he didn't put himself in the right position. I can't really, the more I look at it and think about it, I can't really see what Cabaselli did wrong. He should have been the man doing it. But where he was and where he was looking, he, he wouldn't have been able to know about it or do anything about it. The, the bottom line is, I think, if you, if you freeze frame it, and I know these sort of stills from, from matches don't tell the full picture because they've been playing, played at 100 miles an hour. But when the, just before the ball is about to be crossed in, all our defenders are pretty much where you'd want them to be. You know, yeah. there's the line of, line of yellow, the keeper's in position, and if you did a what happened next on, on question of sport, is that still going? Or, I don't know, it might have to be League of Their Own or something like that. Or they think it's all over. Is that still going? Anyway, it's, uh, everyone's scuttling off to uh, YouTube to watch uh, clips of old school uh, sporting quizzes now. Preferable probably to watching highlights of Watford games at the moment. But there you go. Don't forget, don't forget sporting triangles. Oh yeah, with well, it, we we do we do forget sporting triangles because wasn't that presented by Luton fan Nick Owen? I think you're right. Yes, yes. Well, well remembered. But if you freeze frame it, the the, the left back, the right back, the two centre backs, and the goalkeeper were all in position. And if you ask the question, will Liverpool score from this? The answer should be no. It's frustrating that it happened, especially in the context of, of that first 20 minutes and especially in the context of that chance. I just remembered what the chance was. It was Kuchka, wasn't he? He was, yeah. he was, he was through on goal, similar to Southampton when he was put through and could have put the game to bed in the, in the first half there. He just didn't look confident, did he? And it, it, it didn't happen. And whether that's just born out of the frustrations and the, the lack of confidence that, uh, that a season like we're having will we'll have on a player, I don't know. But the, the, the player, Michael, that in, in that game, who just was, from the pure fact that Mo Salah did absolutely nothing in that game of any note, I don't care if he had, had lots of lasers in his eyes and he's been travelling around the world and blah, 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 blah. Hassan Kamara just pulled another performance out of the bag and just kept not I'm not saying in his pocket or anything that extreme but he dealt with Mo Salah perfectly absolutely I thought he was tremendous and uh, I did have a little chuckle on um, was it Tuesday night when uh, when he played for the Ivory Coast against against England he was um, he was getting stuck in wasn't he letting letting people know he was there and I thought go on my boy you you, you let him know you're you're you're, uh, you're a proper performer and then he carried on uh, on on Saturday, and I think it's no mean feat to keep someone like like Mo Salah quiet. Um, Statman Dave posted Hassan Kamara's uh, game by numbers: sixty six total touches, um, ten out of fourteen ground duels won, ten ball recoveries, eight out of nine tackles won, uh, four interceptions made, and one block made. And he was sort of number one ranked for duels, recoveries, tackles, and and interceptions. And you know, stats can uh, can tell you different things, but I think that sums it up pretty pretty well he's 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 slotted in very very well since he's arrived at the club made himself a a bit of a cult terrace uh, favorite hasn't he but he's done that by by performances like this very very efficient very focused committed um and yeah just executes what he's supposed to do correctly you know he probably had one of the toughest jobs uh, marshalling marshalling Mo Salah and Salah saw plenty of the ball didn't he before he he, he went off but he wasn't able to do what he usually does, which is to sort of earn himself that little bit of space um, and to and to wreak havoc in the in the defence. He just wasn't afforded that at all by by Kamara, who played a very Hassan Kamara game, which was all action, uh, harrying, very busy, strong, but focused. And yeah, and another really really impressive performance. And it's just frustrating, isn't it? What would have happened? How many times um, have I used the word frustrating, by the way, so far today? A frustratingly um, amount. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, had he come in in the, in the in the summer transfer window, would we be having very different conversations? Who knows? But we've got him. He performed really, really well. And I think he is breeding confidence across that, that back line. Yes, we conceded two yesterday. Yes, we didn't win the game. But if you compare our, our defensive performances to you know three, four months ago and previous performances against Liverpool, certainly if you take the one earlier this season, which was an absolute car crash of a, 
of a showing it they're 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 poles apart aren't they and i think that's uh hassan kamara deserves a a, a lot of credit yesterday and and probably watford's man of their match let's talk about the attack though we had the 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 change of sar coming in and he hadn't played in that southampton game dennis was the one left out and it it leaves us with a very youthful looking attacking three of jao pedro uh on the left uh cucho in the middle and sar on the right jason it, it as you said it worked Saar had a, his chance very early on, very reminiscent, I thought, of the uh, the last-minute attempt he had away at Old Trafford uh, a few weeks ago. It just seemed a little bit more a little bit more purposeful, a little bit more stylistic when those three are playing rather than it being a mixture of King and Dennis and Saar. You know, it, it just seems a bit, bit more, like, cohesive. Earlier in the season, King and Dennis seemed to have a, a good relationship perhaps they've struggled a little bit more recently um and Joel Pedro's certainly done more than enough to to deserve a start and we've we've talked about whilst we've we've not given up completely we've talked about being at peace with what our fate is likely to be and it's probably a good thing to see some of the younger players getting their opportunities getting their starts in these games just to sort of build their confidence build their experience um and that would have been a good one for them yesterday. And yeah, did did seem to, to go well. You say Saar had that early chance. Cucho had a, a, a great chance with a header from a corner. And by great, I mean the fact that he made a superb run to the near post for the corner, got on the end of it. He's not the tallest player on the pitch, as we know, um, and did well to get up and, and flick the ball goalwards. And you could see that there, there was no fear. And sort of talking about early on about having to go to these places, going to the likes of City and Liverpool and, and sort of us fearing the worst. This is what I'm talking about when the players had the right mindset and hopefully have been coached in that way to have the right mindset. The fact that they were going to have a go, they weren't sitting back and thinking, oh my God, look, there's Virgil van Dijk who costs all this money and he's just a centre-back. There were no sort of sitting around and sort of looking up at these giants of the game and thinking, oh, they're too good for me. They, they got stuck in. They got they created chances. And like I said, again, the midfield, and as Mike said, Tisoko getting forwards or Kuchka getting forwards. When we won the ball back, we were looking to attack. But, but what I would say is, and it's happened a lot this season, and we, 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 we get ourselves into decent, um, decent positions in the final third where we're on the front foot with players that we'd want on the ball, whether it's Ismail Assar, whether it's João Pedro, or more latterly, um, Cucho Hernandez. And then it it breaks down very quickly. And it's and obviously it's difficult to be too critical when you're coming up against a, a team like Liverpool, and in, in particular Virgil van Dijk, who, you know, one of the best central defenders in the world. I don't think there's any dispute there. But all too often it just, it breaks down easily, doesn't it? And so instead of a... A decisive move forward. There's 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 a cut across, or there's an extra touch, or there's a a, a backwards ball. Um, and I know it's not easy, but we we still for all the all the brightness and all the um, all the sort of dynamism of those players and the pace and the endeavour and the effort, which was which was all there. It, it it breaks down too easily for me. And then the other thing is, of course, when you do get the chances, there was the the Pedro chance that that went wide. Um, may well Saar may well have been called back for for offside on the back of it. They they don't go in, and when you play like Watford are at the moment, which is very very pragmatic, try and hit on the break. You've got to make sure that when you 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 do manufacture those um, those passages of play in the final third, that they come to something. They work the goalkeeper. That they result in a goal because you don't get many of them. You certainly don't get many of them at Liverpool. And John, you're right to to sort of shunt it to this part of the conversation with the with the strikers. It's whether it's just a a lack of confidence in terms of what we're able to do. Yeah, I don't think it's confidence, though, those boys. They sort of seem to be happy and content and, and fairly confident in having a go. And Jab Pedro was showing his strength against Van Dyke and jumping up with him and, and causing him hassles. Not quite in a Troy Deeney way, but you know what I mean. You know, they, they are, they, they, we, we view them as very youthful. I think we're quite forgiving of them, more forgiving of them than we are, say, of Dennis and, and King. And that's quite a nice place to be. I just don't think they're played together enough. And I think that's what you sort of want to feel now is as if those three sort of did start and play some more games together, that little bit more cohesion, even though I do say they feel more cohesive, 
a bit more cohesion in, in a match situation, and maybe a match situation not against a big side like Liverpool, they actually might be able to start firing on, on cylinders a little bit more and hopefully taking their chances and, and, and scoring the goals, which we know they, they can do. Um, it just feels like, especially Saar and even Jab Pedro, just haven't had that time and that opportunity to to settle a little bit in in terms of Premier League matches. Midfield wise, you know, we talked about the the uh, the attack and uh, the, the the driving forward that, that that Liverpool and maybe we weren't expecting. Uh, great stat from on. I didn't realise this, but uh, Soko has started every single game and played every single minute. I think. Uh, of Watford games since uh, he joined us. Kuchka had a better game. I think he was he is having better games under Roy. But he did miss that chance and he did cause uh, the penalty, which led to the 2-0. I don't know what I felt like in that, in that moment. I don't know about you, Mike. The, the feeling of... It's VAR. I was in, I could say, in the pub. It was exactly loud and distracting in there. I didn't see or hear, or did I miss a whistle? Did I see something? But it's, it felt like it came out of nowhere that they were all of a sudden checking this VAR. Adam's written a piece about this on The Athletic, if you want to go and read that, and all the stuff that he writes and all the athletic writers do, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookerien to sign up, if you haven't already. Um, that's probably the best place you can get a good offer. It felt like, I don't know why we're looking at this. Why are we looking at this? Well, because cause Kuchka fouled him. But you look at it, Jota got on top of him to start the foul and then all of a sudden he's gone right I've got a chance here let's do that a little bit and I'll pull him over but I didn't see anything in the f- speed of the game why is VAR checking it it's the NFL draft soon and I think that he may well be in, a ch- in, in with a chance of a decent <laughs> um, a decent sort of pick um, with, with, with tackling like that yes Jota sort of instigated the contact um, yes, that happens in every single penalty box in every single game. Every time there's a set piece or, or corner, you don't do what what Kuzka did. It was it was a blatant foul. It was a blatant penalty. It was a tired challenge. Um, and once it, the VAR told uh, the referee to go and have a look at it, which just at well, wasn't it? Good old boy. But once he went over to look at the screen, it was it was obviously it was going to going to be a penalty. And I thought Roy was a bit disingenuous in his in his comments afterwards saying you know, no one appealed for it so therefore it shouldn't really be a penalty I know that wasn't exactly what he said but that was the, the crux of it. it was like why is VAR looking at stuff like this well the referee didn't give it and VAR is there to make sure that that, that big decisions like that are, are are if they're missed then they get they get highlighted is it has it let's say that again has it done that yeah, and that's yeah. what I don't like about it it feels like this is like, well, hang on, this is exactly what we thought VAR was going to be, but you've missed a thousand of them in the last two, three years when it's meant to be there. I'll give you a great example of, of why it's it's not right, and we can have a, a huge debate about, about VAR, but Jason, you mentioned that brilliant header from from Christian Cabaselle, where he where he cleared the, the ball over the, mm. the, the bar for a corner. Really great defensive header, which which resulted in a Liverpool corner. But I think it was Robertson was offside for that. He was, yeah. So if they score from that corner, you know, VAR should be overturning that as well, really. Or should it? That's that's the question. Why why should they get they, a corner they, from an offside position? Yeah, they probably won't, will they? They probably won't because it's a new new phase of play, isn't it? That's that's an issue with it with it for me. But was it a foul? Was it a penalty? Yes. yes. Was it and, and and I think there's an issue there with, with Kuchka. He is obviously he was absolutely dead on his feet. Should we have withdrawn him earlier and, and brought someone on in his, his stead before that? Because it and it seems to be a a bit of an issue with some Watford players running out of steam sort of sixty, seventy minutes into a game. I think Kuchka has struggles as well as, as games go on, doesn't he? But Kuchka was he ceases to be effective after a after a particular point in the game, doesn't he? Because he's he's older, he puts a lot of effort in, and it basically can't you can't get ninety minutes out of him. That was a tired, knackered, silly foul. When the three subs were made and uh, they were bringing cleverly on, my assumption was it was going to be Kuzka that yeah. was going off. Yeah, and was yeah. a bit surprised that it was loser. I'm guessing obviously losers come back from international duty, and perhaps that was the thinking behind it. Perhaps they 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 thought yeah, he looked a bit tired, but but Kuzka, yeah, Kuzka for me would have been the one to go, and I think not. Not just the penalty, but before that, I don't know. It was I think it must have been only a couple of minutes before 
He's got the ball. Kiko's made a run or about to make a run down the right-hand side. And Kutzka's played an awful ball. I'm not sure what how quick he thinks Kiko is. And there's no way Kiko was, <laughs> was making the yeah making the ball from the pass that he made. It was a again. It was a, when you get tired in in football, it's that sort of concentration and and sort of touches like that that go. And it had clearly gone at that stage. And the whole yeah the penalty thing. I mean, Mike, you're quite right. These sort of like you can call it handbags and sort of touches the sort of grabbing hold of players when you're waiting for set pieces to come in the box happens all the time. What you don't see happen all the time is a player of Kutzka's supposed experience being completely caught out by it, turning, getting turned around, turning his back on the ball, not facing the ball completely and then rugby tackling the, the, the player to the ground. You, you mentioned about him getting an NFL draft spot. It'd get done for holding every bloody week yeah. if he uh, <laughs> if he did that. And it, yeah, it was it was dreadful. It's a penalty all day long for me, unfortunately. You keep going about you know, NFL. I, I did feel it was more of a wrestling move, and it is WrestleMania weekend <laughs> sort of dragging down for, for the pin maybe on Jota to to stop the the goal. I mean, like you say, I'm not disagreeing. It was a foul. I just think it, I didn't understand where it came from. 100. In the context of the game, I think. What you're feeling, John, is is quite a bit of frustration, and it was I felt that felt the same because there was a couple of minutes left to go. Do Watford under Roy Hodgson do the kitchen sink? I don't know. It's that's that's arguable. But if you're still in the game, if it's still one nil with two three minutes to go, then anything can happen. And so it's it's here we go. Frustrating that that Kuzka did that. There was absolutely no need for it, um, and I think he'll. Um, he he'll regret it and will be disappointed. I'm certainly disappointed in it. It was it was a definite penalty, but there was no need for it. There was just no need for it. He wasn't going anywhere. Just track your man, do your job, um, and uh, we could have had a could have had a grandstand final final couple of minutes. But yeah, was wasn't to be. It felt it just irksome, irritating, and perhaps sums up Watford's season so far in uh, in microcosm, doesn't it? Doing some things okay, but then doing lots of avoidable things. Um, that have uh, that that have cost us pretty dearly. There's a piece from Adams about about what um, in Adams' uh, piece this today um, that focuses on this, and you can get it on the Athletic by going to athletic.com forward slash rookery end. Let's let's look at it, you know, in terms of a non-event as we sort of said, but there were things to take from it to look ahead for the rest of the season. We talked about basically how we have. We are protecting our psyches uh, as Watford fans by saying, "Yeah, we're going down. Yeah, we're going down." That's not necessarily 100%. And I still don't want... Like you said, you, you wanted that that big end to the game yesterday, Mark. I still want a big end to the season, no matter what happens. What for you, though? Did there, Do you think there is a, a Watford side there that is getting better, that could get the four home wins that we sort of desperately need? What they showed is that they can be organised and they can be disciplined, all bar a couple of couple of key incidents so they they have shown that they are not they're not they're not a terrible group of players to go and and turn in a, a, a performance like that a sort of rearguard action at, at Anfield against a team that's challenging for the Premier League title shows us that there is there is determination and effort and I think Jason was right to point out early when I talked about how we feel as fans going into these games the players definitely should feel completely different they definitely should be thinking that these are opportunities to perform you know on live on tv this that game yesterday it's a liverpool game it would have been been beamed into virtually every country on the globe uh, and they should be wanting to turn up and and perform in, in in these matches and i think they did i said they 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 executed the plan pretty well give or give or take we lost the game disappointed obviously but they've shown they are capable of of playing as Roy Hodgson wants them to play and yeah it's not going to get people off up off their seats it's not going to get it's not exciting it's not ticky tacky it's not free flowing football but what it does do is give us a vague chance because if you compare that liverpool performance to the liverpool performance at home you might as well have just stick six people you meet on the street into that team that played against liverpool at home and it would have been the same it was a mess and and under Roy Hodgson, whatever you say, they are they are more organised and they are they are harder to to score against. It hasn't worked out particularly well at home, but away they they are they've looked much better. The the difficulty is taking that and turning it into 
turning it into performances at home, which have been, as we all know, absolutely miles off the mark. And you do not get that latitude. You don't get off the hook by playing like that at home because that's not what supporters turn up to see, regardless of, of what's needed from the, from the season. You know, if we win those five games uh, 1-0 uh, after after sitting in deep for, for 90 minutes and it bouncing in off, off Joshua King's nose five times, I don't think there's going to be many complaints. But the reality is... You can't play at home like that every time, not least because it hasn't worked. We've lost eight in a row and we're on course for a for a Watford record in terms of in terms of home defeat. So what I took from yesterday was that it was a lovely thing you said, John, that doesn't dampen the enthusiasm that we got from from Southampton, which I think should be right. I think we should go into this game, certainly as supporters, um, on, off the back of Southampton and off the back of a, a much improved performance at Liverpool, and I think the players should take um, should take some inspiration and, and hope from it from it too. They looked organised, they looked dedicated, they looked focused for the most part. If they can do that at home, then then the performances may well turn around. They've shown that they're not completely useless, which isn't to sort of slightly damned with faint praise, isn't it? But uh, I think I think. The bottom line is they've got to, they've just got to do it. And I think as supporters, we need to turn up and I'm not going to go into my rant again, but we just need to turn up and do a bit and hope that they can do it too. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. This week, Michael, we got the very interesting, but obviously quite hard to understand, uh, financial records of Watford. Uh, it was a uh, whole piece, again, uh, you wanted the big breakdown of it all, go on to The Athletic and see Adam's piece. He really breaks it down. But but it, it was the, the, the books that sort of take us up to the end of last season, to the end of July 2021. And that's always the weird thing about these books. They're a year old almost. But this is where Watford were um, at, after relegation it is the championship season it is the 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 good six months that were highly highly terrible under covid and how Watford have sort of come out of the the back of it knowing that we have a uh, an increase of revenue uh coming or from the when the books were finalized when we've been in the Premier League this year. But Mike generally were you you happy with it I mean we're lucky enough that we sort of did speak to Scott at about this time when we did the podcast, he certainly didn't seem to be you know, anything worried um, about the way he spoke about Watford, that this is going to be harmful for us. To put it in footballing terms, so this this period covers six games in the Premier League behind closed doors and then that entire championship season behind closed doors. So this is a this, these accounts cover a period that is involved virtually no supporters passing through the through through the gate. So I think that's important to, to contextualise it. I think in terms of what Scott says, I think he's always going to be bullish. I think that's their stance as a as a as a club that they're going to be positive about about the situation. Um and I, I think you're unlikely to hear someone in in Scott Duxbury's position saying explicitly that they're worried or there is cause for concern I, I, that that much is clear by the, the the communication the way they've they've spoken which as we've mentioned before is perfectly understandable now we we as supporters have a um have a role and a responsibility as critical friends to try and understand these figures as best as possible and to try and draw our own conclusions because you know as the head of a business they're going to say that we're doing this this and this and this is why it's working this is why it's fine well, we as uh, as stakeholders, if you like, um, don't really like that term, but hopefully you, you know what I mean. We we have a responsibility to try and work it out, and that's I think for three reasons: the future, the current, and the and the past. So the past, because understanding the figures gives us context for what's happening now. So, for example, mentioning that, remembering that these these um, these figures are all based on a completely topsy turvy time in in the footballing world when money was was tight we'd been relegated there was no income from from supporters and everything so that's that's important to understand that the context I, I think the, the figures are also important because they provide an indication to to the performance of the of the hierarchy of the board because they're the ones that hold the purse strings they're the ones that make the decisions on 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 purchases they're the ones that ultimately decide on what money is being used for what and how they finance the club so we're entitled to look at the accounts and the money going in and out and assess that in terms of performance so that's the current um, side of things perhaps the biggest one of all 
um, and it's a it's a overarching thing is that is the future because it's about the security of the club and what sort of state are the accounts in what's the plan for the for the future for the for the short medium and long term to make sure that our kids their kids um, if we go up we go down whatever happens there's, there's going to be a Watford football club there to for, for people to support and in a in a sustainable healthy state what Scott Duxbury says is is fine in as much as that's what I'd expect a figurehead to say but I think we also have a responsibility to do a bit of investigation and trying to you know I am not a finances man as um as any as cursory glance at my bank account will <laughs> will tell you but I, I I am a football man and I love my foot I love Watford football club um, an unhealthy amount and for the reasons I've mentioned that's why I'm very very keen to get an understanding and to draw my own conclusions you know I haven't had a chance to do it to do it properly but I think Adam's article is helpful as it as it breaks it down I think you definitely need to get past the headline um, which again I understand why um, why why the headline was that figure but if you if you do drill down into it a little bit more there's there's a there's an explanation for for where for where we're at but I think this is something that as supporters we need to we need to understand and if there are questions and concerns they they definitely need to be need to be raised I think we're on definitely on shaky ground some of it because of um some of it because of things out of our control like the 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 footballing situation the global situation and others there's there's question marks over over the performance and how we how we're best in, in investing the money. Um, but I don't understand enough about it at this stage to be able to to pass comment. What I would say is to reiterate that my interest is not going to dissipate in this. It's something that I am I'm desperate to, to understand, not least because it provides context for what's going on on the pitch as well. Understanding the financial situation dictates it allows me to understand what's what's possible and what's not on the pitch um so that was a very long answer to what you probably thought was going to be a simple question john <laughs> wouldn't expect anything less from you michael the uh, jason when you look at that i mean like you say mike's mentioned that headline you know watford account scale of covid uh, 19 impact 250 million owed to creditors you know that's the headline adam I heard him sort of say on a, on the, the the Twitter space with Charlie yesterday. It he didn't fail that it completely reflected his piece. And if you read the piece, I certainly feel comfortable about it, especially when you can see how Watford are coping by the selling of players, even players who Watford didn't actually ever really play for Watford, apart from some preseason game in uh, Estupinian and uh, Luis Suarez. You know, there there is a way for us to keep our our heads above water, um, and it it just feels like. Fans, though, grab hold of that headline. Maybe they don't actually go and read the whole piece that Adam's written, breaking it all down. And also, people get obsessed with this word debt. Do you get obsessed with this word debt, Jason? It's funny, isn't it? It, it, I guess some fans might might be scared by it just because of the size of the numbers. There are numbers that everyday people like us just can't comprehend because the amount of money in football is, is stupid, isn't it? We've spoken about that before. Um, in terms of debt and going back to the article, I've read that article as well. And I actually reading through some of the comments from people I found quite helpful. Mike's mentioned he's not a finance man. I'm not a finance man either, but it seems like there are people out there that are that sort of looked at it and given their view of, of, uh, of what they think it means. And when it comes to the debt, it's a very simplistic view I have, but everyone has debt. Football, All other football clubs seem to have debt as far as I can tell, businesses have debt, people have bet, have, have debt. I've got a mortgage, I've got a credit card, I have debt. What's important to me is that I'm able to service that debt, that I have enough money coming in that I can pay off my credit card and I can pay my mortgage. And that seems to be the crux of it with, with Watford. As long as we've got the means to service the debt that we can pay off the interest that we can repay on the right, um, repay the, the the debt on the dates that we are meant to pay, or we are able to manage it, refinance, adjust the, the loans, whatever, that we are comfortable con- to continue operating moving forward, then we should be okay. It's, it's the days when you aren't able to service the debt, 
that's when there's trouble and we, we don't seem to be at this stage at the moment. So for me, comfortable with it as it stands. There is an issue in terms of, I think there is a safety net at the moment in terms of if Watford do get relegated, then the sale of perhaps Ismail Assar and Emmanuel Dennis, for example, should realise a decent chunk of of cash, shouldn't they? So that that will be a, a, a an injection of money that comes into the football club. There will be the the Premier League money that that, that we do, and so very very backward fag packet type sums that the hole is going to be plugged one way or another in the immediate future. I think the the issue potentially comes when if you don't get promoted back into the into the Premier League, how easy is that? Is that debt to to surf to, to service, and what is the nature of the of the debt? I think quite a lot of it is owed to to the owners, um, and they've said that that will come last. They're in no rush to, to to get that back, which is which is fine. But you know, other other money's due. How do you pay those in 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 the future? Because because basically, there's TV revenue and player sales, ticketing, and and and, and all that sort of operation side of things obviously helps, but isn't uh isn't anywhere near as big as those two. So if those two um, columns are are drastically reduced, then obviously there's going to be there's going to be problems alongside that as well. Um, so it's you know it's a it's a very very tricky one. And you're absolutely right. The bottom line is if you can service your debt, you know that it's cash flow, isn't it? You get cash and and you you pay it back. Then they've realised some cash from a bank from the money that was due to them from the Isaac success transfer, which on the face of it is fine. I mean basically it's a it's a payday loan if you like, but they know the money's coming, so we'll get it now. We'll pay a little bit of interest on it, and that's that's an extra bit of cash that's that's freed up. That's all fine. That came out on Twitter a couple of weeks ago um, from the is it Price of Football uh, and and what for fans grabbed hold of it saying it was terrible and literally two or three messages later the price of football bloke went no no that's normal and and i suppose it's what's normal is that we do not know what is normal when you guys say you know you're not finance guys i'm not either but that's what i want to know is are these actions are they getting this money from you know this isaac success getting the money ahead getting it at this point is it better to do it now for security is it better to do it because you you need it. I don't know. That's that is two very different things. I don't know if it's, if this is normal practice. And from what the price of football Twitter feed said when when we saw this, it is actually normal. So I'm all right with it. What what we do know though is that history, recent history, is littered with clubs who have been relegated out of the Premier League and have found their finances very 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 difficult to to deal with. Um, Sunderland still struggling to get out of the third tier. Portsmouth disappeared virtually without a trace. Derby uh, are in a whole world of, of of pain, and I'm not saying that you know they're just three off the off the top of my head. Bolton Wanderers, for example, all clubs that had reasonable um, times in the in the top flight, all clubs that presumably had a reasonable tilt at trying to get back. Because to service the debt, the easiest way to service the debt is to be in a league when you're earning a fortune from TV, right? So it's you, you do you gamble to go back in. So there are plenty of, of cautionary tales that give, I think, supporters the right to be very, very concerned. And when it when it comes to comes to money, I don't know about that, Mike, because I don't see what Watford have ever done. I mean, Ishmael Asar aside, and him being the only one. We've never spent recklessly or deemed to be spending recklessly at any point under the Potsos. Ishmael Asar is a, a unique situation, I think. You know, we've never, he's, you know, he's the first player and only player over £20 million. There were some of those clubs, I know the number of money they spent, but it was a long time ago. It was known that they were, even in the Premier League, playing a risky game. And there's never, it's never felt like a risky game for Watford. Well, it, but it does feel like that, evidently, to, 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 to some people. And I think, yeah, but that's fine. But that, mm. but that's you. And I think there are a large swathe of people who, understandably, are concerned because it doesn't necessarily need to be reckless spending. It doesn't need to be sort of spending forty million pound on a player, twenty million pound on a player, or a hundred grand on wages. Let's take, for example, the, you know, the issue with the uh, it came out this week about the the amount spent on 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 agents. Now it, it looks like Watford have spent what 12 and a half million quid on on agents which is the highest amount outside the the top six 
Now, that may represent good value for money because it may mean that in investing in those fees, we got some really, really good deals. It may well not. So that's just one slice of the, the, the financial pie. There's lots of different ways that, that, that debt is accrued, that money is managed. It, it's not just about, about transfer fees. So I think just to say that because we haven't spent a fortune on players doesn't mean we're it means we're being sensible because it's all about the other stuff where's what how is the money being used how's it being i know that they did a, a they've paid off debt um they've paid off 50 million in in, in loans and so th- there's obviously good stuff happening and i'm not saying that the that the wheels are coming off completely far far from it what i'm saying is that 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 people onlookers supporters have every right to be concerned because there are little bits and bobs that, that come out agents for the, the agents fee for example and there's one name in particular that keeps keeps coming up that, that so what what's the story there that is that worth digging into and finding out a little bit about there's loans secured against the the stadium and and as you say this may all be all part of the the master plan all the all the excel charts are, are totting up everything's fine we know what we're going to do if we go up what we're going to do if we if we stay down and we know we've got a plan for it all that may well be the case absolutely accept that but i also recognize that that people who have the that watford in their heart the same as us want exactly the same for watford in the future for it to be protected for generations are seeing information that that causes them them concern, and I and I recognise and, and and appreciate that, which is why I said at the start, with those three tenets of of understanding the 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 finances, the past for context, the future for for current, the, the now for current performance, and the and the future for 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 safeguarding the the club. It's it's a complicated mix, and it's a very very difficult one because, especially for a club like Watford, I think who who have limitations against them in terms of who they can bring in the, the money they can spend and and so on and so forth so it is it is difficult but i i completely understand why why there is concern and 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 concerted interest and that, that's why i say as 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 critical friends of the the club we will continue to try and try and understand that to the the best of our ability no doubt with the help of uh, of adam and his work uh, for the athletic yeah there's there's a piece where they break down all the the spending that uh, went on agents or inter, what they call intermediaries, intermediary fees, intermediaries, intermediaries uh, uh, fees uh, this last year. Adam has, has contributed to the article. He does talk about it, and you, you, you sound you make him sound like he's Voldemort, Mike Moggy Byatt, uh, who's the name that keeps coming up all over the place. It's in Adam's thing, and I'm saying this is a, this is a, a perfect thing to talk about with Adam in the week. Um, he's a man who looks at these things in great detail uh yeah these weekend podcasts that we do we're just a bunch of fans and we're reacting and we're talking about the games and and what our life is like as what for fans there's some it might not be the same as yours but it is as uh, and another on the midweek podcast that comes out first thing on a thursday that's where we get to look at the newsy items and the the deeper diving into what's going on at vicarage road with adam leventhal the athletic watford correspondent so make sure you listen we're out normally these weekend podcasts they're out in time for monday morning uh, and the other ones come out on a thursday morning and do make sure you, you you keep listening for the the last few weeks of this season no matter what happens thank you very much michael not at all thank you for uh, for humoring me as always <laughs> and thank you jason thank you uh, and of course as i said we'll be back on thursday with another from the recurrent uh, deep diving into what's going on at vicarage road come on you ones the athletic <laughs>